and welcome to Happy Place and the second of eight episodes recorded in front of a live audience at the Happy Place Festival. I'm Fern Cotton and today we're back at Chiswick House to meet body positive Instagram sensation Megan Jane Crabb, also known as Body Posy Panda. If you think back to like the first time that you were ever made to feel like your body was wrong, how absolutely ridiculous is it that you were ever taught to feel that way i was five years old and as we're talking body image we do stray into some darker moments from megan's own personal journey do check out the show notes on this podcast for anything that you may find triggering but i do guarantee that you'll come out of this podcast with an altogether more healthy relationship with social media i know that i have This podcast recording had a profound effect on me and it's one that I really haven't stopped thinking about ever since. So I really have to thank Megan on a more personal note for that as well. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com And now, here's the show. I'm so excited, you ray of sunshine. Um, Thank you for being here. I personally want to thank you in a really sort of selfish way because, like most people, I find social media really wonderful and connective, but I also find it really confusing. Mm -hmm. And uh, yourself and Chessie King and Bryony Gordon, who's here today as well, and Charlie Howard are all people that I have found really helpful to just digest what you're saying and I think most people in the room who know what you do will feel exactly the same so I was really desperate to talk to you and intrigued to question you further on all of the great work that you're doing now as I said we're going to talk about body image Mm -hmm. do you think the confusion first of all lies in the fact that I might be wrong, but a lot of that subject matter actually lies in the mind and it's not really to do with our bodies at all. I think the thing is about body image is that we are all carrying around this idea that it's just us. The thing is with our bodies and with our insecurities, we've kind of been fed this idea that if we hate our bodies, it's our fault because we haven't worked hard enough or because we don't have the willpower, you know, we haven't given it our all to get the the perfect body and then we would be fine. And because of that, it's this like internalized blame of, well, this is on me, so I'll keep this to myself. And it builds such such an amount of shame. You know, the thing is about shame is that it really flourishes when you keep it to yourself. And I think what we're seeing now is finally people refusing to carry it by themselves and actually recognising that it's such a wider problem. It's not something that we've just made up ourselves or, you know, decided to hate ourselves. It is something that we have been taught. It's something that we grow up being taught and being conditioned to feel about ourselves. And that, that is what's happening now, I think. 
Yes, and there has been this wonderful revolution that started with great people like yourself. And, and I think especially for sort of young women growing up who don't know what life's like without social media, it's more important than ever, mm-hmm. which is why what you're doing um, is to be you know, really admired and, and really listened to as well. And that's something that when I'm on social media, when I've seen your page, I never feel like, oh, I shouldn't have looked at that today. I feel boosted and more robust and... And good about myself. And like you say, there is all this sort of shame that's attached to it and Mm self-blame, which we've been indoctrinated by because of culturally how we've existed for so long. And this is for men and females. um, And how industries work. And you've talked a lot about unpicking the thinking behind that Mm -hmm. and how there is a construct that exists which is um, exasperating all of that mm-hmm. and making us delve even deeper into self-loathing yeah. so that we think we need to change. Is that ever going to go away? Ooh. Um, <laughs> first of all, I love this topic. Uh, let's get into Let's get into, let's it. Get into the money behind yes. this all. Um, so this was, this was a huge turning point for me when I, when I realised this uh, because as we've said, you know, you grow up hating your body, you think it's the norm, you don't think anything of it. When I realised how much money the biggest industries in the world make from teaching us to be insecure, from saying this part of your body is a problem, here's the solution to fix it, there you go. And, you know, at the moment it's kind of manifesting as waist trainers and laxative teas and diet lollipops and ridiculous things like that. But this has existed for the last hundred years or so. Like in the 1920s, that was when the diet industry really boomed because women had more disposable income than ever before. And they realised that they could take it all if they made women feel like they had to chase this unattainable body. And currently, so the diet industry in this country makes about £2 billion a year. Uh, In America, it makes about $60 billion. That is how much money can be made when you teach people that their bodies are a problem and that you can sell them the solution to fix it. That was mind-blowing to me. That idea that these industries care more about making money than people being mentally well. They are fine with us hating ourselves, with us putting our lives on hold, with us you know, crying in front of the mirror as long as they're going home with their check. That, that was mind-blowing to me. And I think, to answer your question of whether it's going to change, it changes all the time, but it just morphs slightly into a different thing. Mm. This is what is so dangerous, really, about the diet industry and about the beauty industry and things is that it is always just shifting slightly. Like, most of us know that crash diets don't work. You know, most of us wouldn't think, you know, that's going to change our bodies long term and they're healthy and they're good for you. We know that now, but it's being repackaged as something else. So what once was the grapefruit diet then became the weight loss club, which then became the lifestyle change. And, and now it's, it's masquerading as all kinds of things, even certain things that are based around wellness, you know, wellness in itself, wonderful concept, do things that make you feel well. But even that is sometimes being co-opted by these industries that are actually saying there's only one way to look well. This is it. I'm going to sell you it. Mm. So it's always shifting and we have to be so vigilant about it because it is everywhere. It is everywhere. I hope it's going to change. Yeah. I hope so. But it's going to take, I feel, it it has to take us all kind of recognising that it's happening, first of all, and refusing 
to keep buying into it. You know, these industries, they thrive as long as they're making the money. Mm. They keep going as long as they're making bank. And we have to put our money where our mouths are and, you know, only give to industries, to companies that are wanting us to feel good about ourselves, not ones that are saying, change this about yourself and then you'll be good enough. Well, this is it. I mean, it does feel... Sometimes I really worry about this problem, and especially, like, I've got a daughter and I've got a stepdaughter, and I've got sons, so that's also, you know, going to affect them on whatever level. But I do worry, and I want there to be change so desperately so that they grow up and they're, they're thinking like you are. They're thinking like you are, and they feel absolutely emphatic about all of this, and they're educated about it. Mm-hmm. And it sometimes feels like, are we too far gone? Have, is it so ingrained in us that even when we think that we're not being ruled by it, it's still informing so many of our decisions? Mm-hmm. It's just terrifying. Um, and even, you know, there's mavericks like you doing the great work you do, and there are some big brands who are trying to project imagery that looks more realistic to how everybody is living their lives but it still feels like a novelty mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like the norm yet yes it's it's still a news story mm. whenever a company does something with like a diverse be. lineup no it shouldn't it shouldn't be news at all it should just be like yeah all these humans exist in yes. the real world why shouldn't we be seeing yes. them everywhere <laughs> it's bonkers uh-huh. that's the bit that i think i'm so puzzled by you know why is it still like a novelty or oh do you see that advert where everyone looked like a lovely normal person <laughs> rather than sort of an alien supermodel yes. it's bizarre that that's that's the novelty when mm. it's our everyday lives absolutely um Now, I know that this whole mission started for you from a place of, I'm imagining, pain Mm -hmm. and personal suffering, and you've managed to turn that into something unbelievably powerful and impactful to help so many other people. What for you, and it will be different for everybody who's been through anything similar, what for you was that turning point where you knew you needed to make a change in your life? I have spent the majority of my life either dieting or struggling with eating disorders. And it got to me being 21. This is five years ago. And I, every summer I would do the crash diet, you know, like the big bikini ready. I'll lose this amount of weight and then I'll go on holiday and I'll take a picture and everything will be great. And I'll love everything about my life. I was doing that. I did it every year. Um, and every year it kind of got more and more restrictive and more and more intense. And that year... I hit the goal weight and I'd never hit it before. I hit the, the, the magic number that I'd always had in my head of that number is happiness, that number is success. I hit that, everything will be fine. And I looked in the mirror, I hated everything. I st- and I couldn't, it's like I couldn't compute. I had held this number up for so long. How could I be there and still be so unhappy with everything about myself? And at the same time, I stumbled across this body positive movement and it was just a woman. She was probably about size 20. She was wearing a red string bikini, rocking her rolls and saying, I'm not dieting anymore and I'm okay with myself. And she was even calling herself fat in a positive way. And I had never heard that because obviously we all have that immediate reaction to the word fat. Like it's the worst thing you can possibly be called. She was reclaiming it and she was saying, no, you know what? I'm fat. I don't care. I'm all these other things as well. And this is not going to stop me living my best life. And I, I just, I couldn't accept. I couldn't accept what this person was saying. And I tried to ignore it. I logged off, tried to go back to my diet, set a new goal weight lower than the last time. Cause you know, there's, you can always go lower yeah. um, and carry on. But I could not get her out of my head. Mm. I just kept thinking, 
what if she's right? What, what, what if? What if everything I know about bodies and beauty and value and all of this, what if it's wrong and I've just spent the last 15 years of my life buying into something that I didn't have to buy into? And that, thinking about that over and over again and eventually going back and finding her and realizing, you know what? I don't want to be 80 years old and counting the calories in my dessert. I can't do this. No. I cannot carry on for the rest of my life doing this. I have to at least try. And it really felt like standing on this like giant crater. I had one leg here in, in diet culture and in hating my body and in still wanting to change myself. And then this leg was body positivity and forgetting everything I'd ever known and throwing out my scales and starting again. And I had to go one way. I'm a very all or nothing person. Yeah. I had to go one way or the other. And I'd already tried that. I had already tried that first way. So what did I have to lose giving myself a, a chance? And I felt like I owed myself at least a chance of trying something else. Wow. It's worked out all right. It's worked out really <laughs> well. So well. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com So when you're in that place of limbo I'm imagining for a while because like you say you you've been brainwashed in in one way emphatically and then you've now got this new understanding and a new kind of mission starting whenever you had moments where you felt more vulnerable or perhaps you were knocked for whatever reasons in life and I'm sure you then swayed right over to the the darker side and the more negative side of your brain Mm -hmm. how did you navigate back to this new way that you just you knew there was something about it how did you get yourself back on track and think no I've got to I've got to honor this because I guess your self-worth was building and you and you felt like you deserved it Mm mm-hmm See, you, you, you stole my answer. That's, <laughs> that's one of them. So I, I would say like three things mainly kept me on track when I was falling back into the old patterns. First of which is I built myself up a community. Like I built a real strong place that I could go online. I unfollowed absolutely everyone who made me feel rubbish about myself. Love. Ditch the toxic people. Yes. Unfollow. Be ruthless with that unfollow button. Honestly, your mental health is more important than being polite to someone you don't know on the internet. So unfollow everyone who makes you feel rubbish about yourself. And I made sure I was following a completely diverse range of people of all shapes, sizes, skin colors, ages, genders, abilities, everyone who could show me, you know, here we are living our best lives. It's possible for you too. And I also did things like build up a good library, library, library of books (laughs) about body image and about diet culture um, and sort out interviews and just really tried to surround myself with as much as that as possible. So I had somewhere to go back to when I was slipping. So that's like the physical thing I did. Mentally, emotionally, how I kept myself there and how I still do keep myself here when I have the not so great days, everyone does. Anger. Anger is a very, very good driving emotion. So how do you use it? So essentially, 
This is this is a, like an easy one. I think that everyone can do. If you think back to like the first time that you were ever made to feel like your body was wrong, the first time you hated yourself or started to struggle in any way with your body image, how absolutely ridiculous is it that you were ever taught to feel that way? I was five years old. How? How could this world make a five-year-old believe that their body was wrong to the point that that's all she was thinking about five-year-old me? I did not deserve that. None of us deserve that. You know, this world that is cruel enough to make us believe that we are bodies first and people second, mm. and that our purpose in life is to change our bodies to become this ridiculous, made-up idea of beautiful that is all about making money. Yeah, it's just like it's infuriating to me, and maybe like. I think for a lot of people, the anger might not tap in for yourself, but maybe it would tap in for someone who you love who yeah. struggled with their body. Or if you are a parent, thinking about how your child is being brought up in this world as well, you should. We should all be very, very angry that this culture is. Profiting from us, hating ourselves. We should all be angry that we were ever taught to believe that our bodies weren't good enough in the first place. And then, how do you switch that into a into a positive force and an energy that's going to do good change? Oh my god, I just absolutely refuse. I refuse to spend another day hating myself. Yeah, that, it's that kind of um, that classic. You know, stand in front of the mirror. Immediately, you're going to try and pick out parts yeah. you don't like. That's what I we do all the time. To do yeah. I kind of just um, take a step back. Zoom, zoom out and say, nah, I'm not doing it. I've given too much of my life to diet culture, to hating myself. I have put too many things on hold. I'm not doing it anymore. You, like, you are not getting any more of my life, mm. body image issues. So your anger quite literally turns into love for yourself. You're, yeah. you're fueling that love um, from a place of passion. It's like deep, That's heat, it. red passion that you can... Mm-hmm. charge up into love for yourself you are you are standing <gasps> wonderful up for yourself. you're standing up for yourself mm. and that's not something that we are very good at doing we're know? awful is it mm-hmm. is it worse because we're british as well we're awful at it <laughs> british people are so bad at that mm-hmm. uh, even saying you know we, we always think that we have to be very self-deprecating and i do it all the time myself oh no you know someone goes oh you look nice oh this old thing i just it was the first thing <laughs> i found on the floor you know we're always so self-deprecating and can't ever just go thank you yeah Thank you. Or, you know, if someone says anything positive about you as a person, your appearance, whatever, um, we're not good at taking that on board. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God, there's so many routes I want to go in. I'm trying to work out where to go first. Okay, I'm going to go down this route because it's something that we're all struggling with, and that is social media, which we have talked about a little. Yeah. And you've said there's a wonderful tactic of following great positive people, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful way of doing things. I mean, it's such a bizarre construct in itself because I... Certainly as I've got older, and I've done this job for a very long time now, I know intellectually, even though it gets fogged by exterior noise quite a lot, that my own self-value comes from stuff that you can't see. You know, I know that I'm a curious person, and I like that about myself. I'm going to be very un-British and say I like that about myself. Yes. Um, And I like the fact that I have empathy, and I want to understand people better. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of other things that are just, they're invisible to the eye, but I know they're there. And I'd like to showcase some of those things and be like, yeah, this is a good part of myself. But but especially, I guess, Instagram, and I'm not pointing fingers, because as I've said we both know a great community can be built from that and mm-hmm. it's a really wonderful connective place but it is about visuals and I know a lot of people that I'll look at who have 
an insane amount of followers, it's because their life and usually body look really mm. what we have been told is good. Mm-hmm. And it seems like we've got a lot of backpedaling to do from that place. And I wonder how you find it even just showcasing your body still mm-hmm. rather than showing all the other values that you know you have inside? That's a really good question. Um, it's a difficult balance. It's a very... I've been talking about this quite a lot lately. So what I kind of am now is an influencer mm. and inescapably being an influencer is so much about appearance it is so so easy to get dragged into trying to curate the perfect feed and the perfect image and even I get so so wrapped up in it sometimes and it's that thing of I can't even lie and say the perfect pictures don't perform better because they do yeah a picture that is glamorous made up well angled good backdrop that will get more engagement unfortunately than me being myself. This is the so frustrating thing. I have yes. the same thing. I'll post something of like my cat or like <laughs> a vegetarian lasagna I've made and I think that's going to get so many likes because that's really amazing. <laughs> and then there's like my dad, my auntie Karen. And I'm like, what? Why is that not popular? And then if I have to go to an event which is like once a year because I get mainly invited to mental health seminars now which is great but gone are the glamorous days of the red carpet. Um, and, you know, I might have to put a frock on and make my makeup look a bit nicer. And you'll get loads of likes. And I think, just in a dress? I don't, I don't, that doesn't compute for me. I don't get it. But again, is it still we're being indoctrinated that we're almost pressing the like button before we know we're doing it because we think that's yes. what we're meant to do. Yes. And that's, that's a very natural like, human thing because even I do it. It's like, oh, something pretty. Click, click. Yeah. Um, it's, that's so, so natural. But also I think we're kind of also shooting ourselves in the foot when we do that because the way that algorithms now work on social media is that the things that we like are what we see more of. Yes. So I am trying now to not... Um, um, not necessarily like what I think is pretty, but like what I want other people to see. Because yes. the things that get the most engagement are pushed to the top of other people's feeds. So if it's an important message, I want to engage with it. If it's a pretty pitch, I mean, it's nice. It's nice, but is, who's it helping? Yeah. Who's it helping? And that's what I, I want to keep in mind on my social media. So there's a responsibility that we all have mm-hmm. in that way. Because again, we can all point fingers and we can say, that po- person only posts really you know, inauthentic, very contrived pictures. Well, don't look at it, unfollow or don't like it. We have to be responsible for what we're digesting. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I slip up on this all the time and I'll sometimes be scrolling and like not thinking about what I'm looking at and digesting. And then you just feel a bit crap after. Mm-hmm. Think, Why did I do that? And I think remembering we've got a choice. It's not forced upon us. We don't have to look at all this stuff that then we can take back a bit of control for ourselves as well. Yes. It's important. I guess this podcast was something I was desperately wanting to do because although I've been so massively honest in most areas of my life, I've never really talked about my own body image. I did one article in Red Magazine a couple of months ago about the fact that there's loads of bits of my body I don't like and whether that's been indoctrinated culturally or other things I've been through I've also had a weird life been on TV since I was 15 so everyone's got an opinion of you who you are what you look like and I think some stuff goes back to control rather than me looking in the mirror directly Mm -hmm. but I've certainly had problems with it over the years and I've definitely had 
a disordered way of eating on off over the years. And it's something I think I'm still very uncomfortable with. And I'll possibly talk about a further down the line when I'm more educated about it, when I've talked to more people like you, and when I'm more at peace with all of it. But I think one of the other things, you know, because we can talk about the mental health issues and all of that a lot more, but I think there is also a confusion because of how we're indoctrinated and, and the market's making money. We're all often a bit confused about food and what we should be eating and what we shouldn't be eating and what's good and what's bad. And I have felt bamboozled by it over the years Mm -hmm. and not getting what a balance is or whatever. And I wonder how in your recovery through this process you've now found peace with food and eating Mm -hmm. because that has obviously been something that you've controlled over the years. And if now you do feel at balance with it. I do, but it took a bloody long time. Mm. It's really, really hard work. I think most of us eat in a disordered way. We've just been taught it's completely normal, but we all do. Even what you just said there, that splitting of food into the two categories of good and bad, that's an incredibly disordered way to see sustenance, to see the thing that gives us life, as if every single thing we eat makes us a good or bad person. You know, the guilt, the guilt that comes with eating is just outrageous. One of my, there's a quote by, um, I think it's by Evelyn Treble, and it says something like, guilt is an appropriate emotion if you mug someone or kick someone's dog, but it has no place in your eating life. Yes. Don't that's kick a- dogs. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> that's an ad lib. That's not a direct quote. So <laughs> don't tell her I said that. She's riffed around it. It's yeah, fine. I really didn't, didn't say <laughs> kick dogs. But it, so yeah, it has been a very, very long journey. And a huge part of healing my relationship with food was learning to eat intuitively. And uh, so intuitive eating is essentially the idea of getting back in tune with your body and trusting that your body actually knows what it wants, the nutrients that it needs, what it fancies, and that you don't have to navigate food from this place of guilt and counting and shame. Absolutely all of us were born with the ability to eat intuitively. You know, when we were babies, we knew when we were hungry, we knew when we were full, we knew when to turn away. We just lose that over the years. We lose touch with our bodies and our hunger signals and our fullness signals and actually listening to what we want. And I very much believe that there is a way to get back to that. There are wonderful people who talk about this. I'm not, an, I'm not a complete expert in this. So people like Linda Bacon, she wrote a wonderful book called Health at Every Size. Um, Ellen Satter is a great person to look at. And there's a book called Intuitive Eating. There is so much out there. And it's this genuine science of this is how you make peace with food. You remove the guilt, you remove the good and the bad, you learn to listen to your body. And for me also, that couldn't have happened without removing the fear of fats from my life. That kind of, because that's, that's what it always was for me. Yeah. Food was something that is either going to make me thinner or is going to make me fatter. And so I, how could I have a peaceful relationship with food when that was always in the back of my mind? Mm. And healing that relationship with food had to mean being okay with gaining weight. And as someone who's come from a, from a history of anorexia, that used to be the most terrifying thing in the world. Actually accepting that maybe, maybe this idea of this perfect body I had in my head, that's not how I'm supposed to look. Maybe I'm supposed to be a bit chunkier and a bit softer in the middle. Maybe that's okay. Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. But the thing about weight gain, I think we have this, 
we all have this mental thing about weight gain. It's like it's the most horrifying thing in the world and it will, it will feel so terrible and it's almost this physical reaction we have to it. When you actually gain a bit of weight, nothing happens. Mm. <laughs> like, your life just kind of carries on yeah. and you wear a size that's a couple bigger or, you know, the, the world does not come crashing down. Everything does not end around you. You're just a bit chunkier and that's about it. Um, and that, for me, I kind of just had to embrace it is that something you incrementally learned or was it quite instant for you that as soon as you surrendered to uh that fear that you'd held for so long of Mm -hmm. your body changing Mm -hmm. um was it quite instant that you went oh i i am still here and everything is fine a little bit a little it's a it's an adjustment. It's definitely an adjustment. You know, I did a lot of um, a lot of spending time with my body. A lot of I tried to practice a lot of like self kindness, especially with how I just like touch myself. You know, we all we're all so rough with ourselves. I used to stand in front of the mirror day after day, just like pulling at my body parts and like thinking if I could just remove this. That is a horrible way to treat the thing that carries you through your life. Why are we being so rough and horrible to ourselves? So I just try my area. Was, my area was my stomach. I always, always hated my stomach so, so much. And I thought, flat stomach, that's it. That's the route to happiness. So when uh, I started getting a little bit softer in the middle, started rolling a little bit more, I just made sure I was spending plenty of time sat with my stomach, just kind of like gently stroking, mm. just holding on, just being grateful and actually just trying to translate that gratitude to my body Thank you for carrying me. Yeah, and it's an emotional area of our bodies. It really is. Um, there's a, a wonderful friend of mine called Rebecca Dennis who's doing breathing sessions in one of the teepees. And I've talked to her a lot about this because, again, culturally, we, there's all these weird myths, isn't there? If you have a flat stomach, you will, like you said, be happy or there will be self-control or whatever silly myth that we apply to it. Mm-hmm. So most of us, especially if you have a picture, you go, hmm? <laughs> suck, suck that stomach in mm-hmm. and it's we all do it subconsciously it's all, and we walk around holding our, our lower abdomen in and if you look at uh, tiny kids toddlers when they're breathing they're breathing into their tummies they're not holding their tummies in they let their their tummies curve out and they're breathing correctly and that's lowering anxiety that's getting the nervous system in check how it should be so we underestimate even by doing that how much we're physiologically changing what's happening in, inside and, and how that's affecting us mentally as well. And it's such a weird thing of even now thinking, am I holding my tummy in a bit in case these people in the front row are seeing where, you know, I've had babies and there's sort of little loose bits of skin there. And you, it is sort of at the back of your mind constantly. And actually, I mean, if you've got time to go and talk to Rebecca, please do. To learn to breathe into that area and to not have that tension is just never going to be a bad thing and so much of this is emotion is emotional not only where we hold tension bits of ourselves we pull out and we focus on but even going back to food so much of that can be emotional some people will eat when they're highly stressed some people will not eat when they're highly stressed or nervous some people when they're low will eat some people will reject food when they when they're feeling like that and I guess I wonder how you've managed to navigate that, looking at your own triggers and things that make you feel good or bad and and how then you react to food within that situation in life. Mm. I think it's definitely not a case of no longer feeling good or bad. It's just I don't use the same destructive 
outlets anymore. So for me, and I think this, this was a, a large part of my eating disorder, was that food became something that it was very easy to put the pain into. It was very easy to put everything I was struggling with and feeling like overwhelmed by the world and I didn't know what's going on and why, does that, why do I hate, why don't I feel good enough? Why do I hate myself so much? Food is a very easy thing to place all that into because of the sense of control it gives you. You know, you might not be able to control everything that's going on in your life or how you feel about yourself, but you can control how much you eat in a day. So you have something. You have some sense of I'm doing something. And for me, I had to recognize that that was a very, 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 very destructive thing to be putting that into. And I am still to this day trying to find non-destructive ways. Therapy, shout out to therapy. Yes. Um, that's a great one to put it into. Non-destructive ways, non-destructive ways of processing those emotions. And I think for me as well, knowing that actually I can feel those emotions, I don't have to, to smush them down into what's on my plate. I am actually capable of feeling them and they won't destroy me. Yeah. I think so many people, you know, we put it into, maybe it's not even food, other people put it into uh, unhealthy relationship with exercise or unhealthy romantic relationships or alcohol or going out all the time. All of these things that we use to kind of cover over our emotions so we don't have yeah, to feel them so it. much. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And I think we are all so much more capable than we realize of weathering what we are feeling and of processing it in a less destructive way. Mm. We're just not given the tools. And um, this might be a deeply personal question for you and you don't have to answer, but where do you think that initial self-loathing rooted is rooted you know do you know how that started is it just culturally what you were digesting oh it's such a mix it's such a mix um and and actually there's a lot of uh, research happening at the moment as to whether um eating disorders and who's predisposed to them whether that's more genetic than we oh, realize really? yeah so it's a big big complicated thing but for me it is it, there is the cultural, there is the sociocultural, what's going on in the world around us. I never shut up about that stuff. Mm. That is a very, very real thing that influences how we feel about ourselves. But it's also our personality traits. So I'm a perfectionist. I'm all or nothing. I will never, I will never feel like I'm doing good enough. <laughs> so if you put that into someone who's then becomes obsessed with this cultural idea of beauty as, as thinness... Bam! Like yeah. that's that's such a terrible mix. That's such a terrible mix. And so many so many of us have it. And also, I think so many women and girls have it. Also, that comes from gender roles and how we are encouraged to be perfect. Boys are still more encouraged to go and adventure and make mistakes, and girls are still more how encouraged to get it right. I had never thought of that before. When mm. you mentioned gender, that was not where I thought you were going with that. That's so interesting that there's still that divide with mm -hmm. how we bring kids up. And that's something that I'm sure as parents we can all think about more and just how we relate to the younger generation. Yeah. Please give a huge, huge round of applause to Megan Jane Crabb. Thank you. And for fun. Thank you, Megan. Just so many beautiful, inspiring ideas to explore in such a short amount of time. So, so good. And do go follow her like the thousands of people that do. Her Instagram is at bodyposypanda. Next week, we'll be sitting down with the wonderful Katie Piper. All my possessions got taken by the police for evidence and then my landlord binned the rest. I woke up in a coma three months later. No eyesight, no face, no possessions, no friends. So I revert back to that all the time and think, that didn't kill me. 
and that didn't stop me. So actually, somebody saying I was a bit boring on my podcast, or somebody saying my shirt didn't suit my hair colour on the Daily Mail, it's all right. Get that episode as soon as it's released when you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on your Google Home or Alexa device. Thanks again to Megan. Oh, thank you, Megan. To our wonderful audience at Happy Place Festival, the producer, Thomas Griffin and Matt Hill at Rethink Audio. And to you, lovely lot, for listening. Really appreciate it, as always. I'll see you Monday. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com